So let's look at it. First one, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, you can look up on the screen and you can see this verse. Micah 5, 2. If you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. We see in Micah 5, 2, the first prophetic scripture. It says, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now here we see where the Messiah was to be born. And we see that it's Bethlehem Ephrath. Now what's that? Bethlehem's a small little town. It's so small, it says too little to be named among the clans of Judah because, it, in other words, it didn't even have a place on the map. Tiny little village. And it was named Ephrath because that was the region of Israel where Bethlehem was at. That was important because there was more than one Bethlehem. There was a Bethlehem in northern Israel, up by Galilee, but then there's a Bethlehem in southern Israel, south of Jerusalem, and that's the Bethlehem that Jesus was going to be born at. Now, what's significant about this is not only is it a small, podunk little town, but also it wasn't where Jesus' parents were living right around the time of his birth. But we see in Luke chapter 2, what happened is God sovereignly moved upon the king or the emperor at the time. His name was Caesar Augustus. And God sovereignly moved upon him to, to put out a decree that everybody had to return to their ancestral um, cities to make a census so they could charge everybody taxes. And so, hey, there was IRS even back then. And what they were doing was Caesar, another way of raising funds for his Roman Empire, he said, everybody goes back to their ancestral cities. And so we know from the Gospels, Mary and Joseph had to leave northern Israel, travel probably by donkey, and the last part of her pregnancy, several, several days' journey all the way to Bethlehem, because that's where God said that Jesus was going to be born. I got two daughters right now that are both pregnant, and I can't imagine telling them, okay, get on a donkey and go a couple days' journey, because that's where you're supposed to go to get a census. I, I, there would be some interesting things about uh, civil disobedience at that point, if that happened. But that was mandated throughout the whole Roman Empire. You had to go back to ancestral cities. And you know what we see here? What's interesting? We see the sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things, even pagan kings. That's a good word for us in this environment we're in today. Because we're in a crazy, chaotic time. And we need to understand, as we saw in the book of Revelation, God's in control. God's sovereign. God is sovereignly leading all the things that are happening in our culture, no matter how chaotic it gets. And we need to understand that in our personal lives, too. God's in control. God's sovereign. God's on the throne. And the promise of Scripture is God causes some things. Is that what it says? God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. The promise of scripture, God is sovereignly, if you're a believer, God is sovereignly involved in your life, that all things that happen, he's sovereignly putting the pieces of the puzzle together so that everything will happen for, you, for your good and his glory. We know also, Jeremiah 29, 11, God is sovereignly involved in our lives to the point that he knows the plans for us, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give us what? A future and a hope. We know from Scripture very clearly God is working behind the scenes and he's sovereignly involved to make sure everything that's happened to us as believers is for our good, again, in his glory. 
I was thinking about that this week because it's a tough week for me. Uh, yesterday was the 17th anniversary of my sudden loss of my dad, 17 years ago, December 19th. And I always face that with just, it's tough. And I remember um, as my dad, I was growing up and everything else, my dad had some serious uh, alcohol issues and the alcoholism led really to his, his sudden death. And I sometimes as a young Christian especially, I'd be praying for my dad and it was a real struggle for me because it was like, hey, God, why don't you just save him and set him free and deliver him just like you did with me? For 35 years, he struggled with alcoholism. Now, I think at the end of his life, he repented right at the 11th hour, got things right with God. But what about all those other years? I would argue with God and question God sometimes and stuff. But as I look back in the rearview mirror of my life, God even had a purpose and a plan in that because one of the reasons why I have a U-turn for Christ is because I got this passion for helping people get set free from alcoholism or drug addiction because, listen, every time we see someone graduate on this stage in the first service that's graduating and has got their life together and they're set free, what happens is there's cartwheels going on in my heart. And we're going to keep doing this until Jesus returns because we want to see people set free. Jesus' ministry is not only to preach the gospel of the poor, but to set free the captives, bind up the brokenhearted, and to, to heal that which is bruised. And you know what? I look back in the rear view of my life and my spiritual journey, and one of the reasons why God allowed that in my life is he was doing it for my good and for the, for the good of us having a ministry called U-Turn and for his glory. You see how God sovereignly works in all the details, including the birth of Christ? Jesus had to be brought sovereignly to this city because that's where the Messiah is from. And also it's important for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem because guess who else was from Bethlehem? King David. And the scripture said he, he needed to be a son of David and he had to have this affiliation with David. So as he was born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, which was where he was from, his origins was from, so it was sovereignly worked out the Messiah was going to be the son of David. Now, what's also interesting about this scripture, it says it's not only a small town, it's not only this distinct little village called Bethlehem, but he's, he's in the midst of baby being born here, we also see he's one who's going forth to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, here's what we're seeing about the Messiah here. Yes, he's born as a baby in Bethlehem, but he's more than a baby. He's from days long ago. He's... he's, he's Actually, ancient of days, one version says. And what we see here is, scholars call this the hypostatic union of divinity and humanity. Yes, he was a baby born in Bethlehem, but he was a divinity in regards to he was from long ago. He was from the days of eternity. He's the ancient of days. And so what we see here is that, that this is hypostatic unit, unit of divinity and humanity in the birth of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, notice, full of grace and truth. But also, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word what? Was God. He was divinity in diapers. And that's what this is saying here. Yes, born in this little town, a baby is born, but he's from long ago, Days of, of, of eternity. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, if we were to ask if Christ has always existed, we answer yes. For our text says his origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Christ has, put this up on the screen, Carlton. Christ 
has his going forth in his Godhead. He has, met, he has not been a secret and silent person until his birth. Go ahead, Carlton. Put it up there. Let's read it together. That infant, infant slumbering in his mother's arms was the infant of that day, but also the ancient of eternity. There it is. He served his people. He served his people as a representative before the throne of God, even before they were begotten in the world. It was from everlasting that his mighty fingers grasped the pen, the stylus of ages, and wrote his own name, the name of the eternal Son of God. It was from everlasting that he signed the compact with his Father, that he would pay blood for blood, wound for wound, suffering for suffering, agony for agony, and death for death on behalf of his people. It was from the everlasting that he gave himself up without a murmuring word, that from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet he might sweat blood, that he might be spit on, pierced, mocked, and torn asunder, and suffer the pain of his death, and from the agonies of the cross. Pause my soul in wonder. We had origins in the person of Jesus from everlasting. Not only when we were born into the world did Christ love us, but his delights were with people before there were any of them. He often thought of them. From everlasting to everlasting, he had set his affection on them. That's deep. You know what that's saying? Is Christ had a compact, a contract with the Father before you were born and before this world was even created. And God had a deal with the Son. That Son, you're going to leave this heaven at my right hand and the angels all worshiping you. And you're going to be made in the likeness of man, taking the very nature of a servant, and humbling yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's why God has highly exalted him to have the name above every name, that he, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's amazing. This is from everlasting. This was a deal that was between the Father and the Son before even the foundation of the world. And this was put into place. When Jesus came and was born in this little town of Bethlehem, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you and for me, and he came to this world, a baby born in Bethlehem, divinity in diapers. So that's our first verse. So where was he born? Bethlehem, the ancient of days from everlasting. And then the next verse, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is a little bit easier to find. Take a left. It's a major prophet instead of a minor prophet because it's longer. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, now we go from where he was born to how he was born. Isaiah 7, 14, it says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name. What is his name? Emmanuel. Interesting. So this is how he was born. He was born to a virgin. Now, most scholars believe that, that Mary was probably just in her young to mid-teens. And she was in a betrothal period, according to the Gospels, which means she hadn't consummated her marriage yet. She was in an engagement period, according to the Gospels, and she got pregnant. And her husband, future husband, Joseph, was going to put her away because everybody was just assuming there was some kind of fornication and betrayal of their marriage. And she was going to be put away because Joseph was such a kind gentleman that ultimately the law said if you committed adultery, even in the betrothal period, you were to be stoned to death. He wanted to get her out of Dodge. 
until an angel appeared to Joseph. And the angel said, hey, don't put Mary away. No, no, no. She has been, she is pregnant because what's in her womb is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. The virgin birth is important. And there's liberal scholars out there that will just deny the virgin birth. They'll say it's just a legend made up by the apostles. It's not really, it's not that big a deal whether she was a virgin or not. It is a big deal. You know why? Because, again, the only way Jesus could be divinity in humanity is if he had a divine origin conceived by the Holy Spirit but born of Mary. The Holy Spirit brings the divinity. Mary brings the humanity. Don't let anybody ever tell you the virgin birth is not important because it points to the divinity of Jesus Christ. And you know why that's important too? Because only God could die for our sins. Only God, divinity and humanity, could be the sacrifice on the cross because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why 1 Peter 3.18 says, for Christ died for sins. Listen, once for all, the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. The only way that could happen is that he had to be totally just, totally perfect in humanity. Again, the only way that could be too is with a sin nature that all human beings have is, is only God could be without sin. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this also. And it says in Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things such as we are. Notice, here it is. Yet without what? Without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see that? The virgin birth is very important because only God could die and be the propitiation for our sins. It's called substitutionary atonement. There had to be a substitute of God dying on that cross for our sins. And the virgin birth made it possible for God to take on human flesh. And also, it's interesting here, it says this too. It says that as God in the flesh, who's going to be born of a virgin, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I remember when I first came to Christ, 40 years ago, 40-some years ago, actually. Boy, I'm getting old. Doesn't time fly faster as you get older? This is crazy how fast it's going lately. It's just amazing. It just seems like, whew, yesterday I was... Just a young man. I ain't any young man anymore. And, but I remember first coming to Christ and having that sense of his presence. And then having a sense, as we talked about, that Jesus, that truth just rang home in my heart. Jesus died for me. And then I remember having my first communion after that realization was true in my life. And I received him as my Savior and my Lord. I remember my first time of communion. God with me. And the fact that he died for me. I remember communion before. I remember communion before I came to Christ. Because I, I grew up in this really staunch, uh, really kind of dead Presbyterian church. With those stone walls and the funeral march when you walked in of, this, of the organ. Ooh, like this. And 
I remember just sitting there as a little kid and just not getting anything that this church was doing. And, but then I remember having communion, and they passed the communion play. This was back in the 60s and early 70s. They had a communion play, and they had uh, uh, inner, inner juice on the inner, but then on the outside row, it was real wine. And I remember snatching that every once in a while and go, man, I get a shot of wine in church. Woo, like this. That's how lost I was. But then I remember coming to Christ sitting on a beach in Chicago, Oak Street Beach in, on Lake Michigan with new believers and myself, teenagers. That just came to Christ. Someone had a guitar. Someone else got the Welch's grapefruit juice. Someone else got the crackers. We sang some songs. And I'll never forget this. We had communion. And then we sang Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I remember my eyes sweating. It means I was crying. Just the tears were coming down my face because I realized God took on human flesh and then died on a cross for me. And then... God said, I'm Emmanuel, I'm with you, John Hoppy. And I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even in age. And I was learning these things. I realized God is with me. And you know, the last 40 years of walking with the Lord, it, there's been times that it hasn't been easy. So it's spiritual warfare being a Christian in a cursed world, isn't it? But one thing that's always rung true in my Christianity that I've always gone back to from my early days of being a Christian is Jesus took on humanity for me and died for me on the cross and he loves me and he is with me. And if God be for me, who could be against me? And I am, because of what Jesus did for me on that cross and coming for me and dying for me and being in my heart, hey, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. And not only that, Hey, listen, I am, I am assured of the fact in Romans chapter 8 that there's nothing, there's no one, there's nothing this world can throw at me that can separate me from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. He will always be with me, and he'll never leave me, and he'll never forsake me, forsake me because he is Emmanuel, God with me and God with you. Amen? And listen, church, listen. If you're not feeling close to God during this holiday season, if you're not, as a Christian, you're feeling like he's left you or something like that, good news. Simple solution. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Spend Spend some more time in his presence. There's nothing better you could do during this Christmas season, to get back in the Word, have some more personal devotion, spend some time in His presence, and He will draw near to you as you draw near to Him. He promises that. Hey, if God seems far from you, guess what? He ain't the one that moved. You did. You need to get back in His presence. That's why personal devotion is so important. That's why I think every Christian should start your day in prayer and end your day in prayer and then pray throughout your day. I think every Christian be, should be in the Word as you begin your day and then end your day, do some devotions at night before you go to bed. It'll bring a sense of His presence all throughout that day. And then I think every Christian, too, should have a commitment when God's people meet. Let's be in His house, man, because this is the place where we get Emmanuel. We get His presence in this place. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus said, I am there. 
I'm here with you guys. And that's one of the things I always pray for as I pray through the chairs on Friday. I pray through all these chairs on Friday. One of the chief prayer requests I have is not only for healing, not only to set people free, not only to get people saved, but I pray, God, please, as we meet in your name, may your presence be strong here at Calvary Chapel. When people walk through that door, I pray, Lord, may they just be struck by your glory and by your power and by your Holy Spirit. May, you, may people, as they walk through the doors of this church, experience that you are Emmanuel, God with us. That's who he is. And I love him for it. I, I treasure his presence. I love the fact that he doesn't just stay up in heaven and I'm not a deist that just believes he's up there and he's going to leave us alone. I, I, I am a believer that he is not only omnipotent, omniscient, but he's omnipresent. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Can I get an amen on that, church? All right, last verse. So we've seen, where was he born? Where is he born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We've seen what, what, what characterizes birth? What characterizes birth? He was born of a virgin, and his name was going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now let's see what, he was, what characterizes who he is. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Great Christmas verse, by the way. It says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, right? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, once again, we see this hypostatic union of divinity and humanity. Because it says, we're in the beginning of the verse, it says this. It says that a child will be born to us. That's, that's humanity. He's going to be a baby born in Bethlehem. But also, a son is going to be given. That's divinity. Because it says, for God so loved the, only world, the world that he gave his only begotten what? Son. So he's a child born as a baby, but he's a son given by the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And then it also says what is going to characterize who he is. First of all, the government will rest upon his shoulders. What does that mean? It means when he comes back, he's going to come back and emblazoned on the sun. We're going to see Revelation 19 when we get to it. It's going to be the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And already the government rests in shoulders. He's in full control, again, with his father of everything that's happening in this world. But when he comes back, what's going to happen is he is literally going to go into a mode of theocracy. Right now we're in democracy. Democracy is better than dictatorship. But still, I am so, I don't know about you, I am so sick of all the politics. I'm ready to be done with it and get Jesus back here to set up his kingdom here on earth so we don't have politicians anymore. We got Jesus leading this world. And that's coming. That's coming. When he comes back, he is going to be a theocracy. God in the flesh, the government is going to rest on his shoulders. And Isaiah tells us when that happens, all order is going to be restored. No more chaos. And, and even little kids will be able to play with vipers because all of creation will be restored. You know, Romans chapter 8 tells us that creation right now is just groaning for Jesus to come back and, and restore creation back to its order that it had in the Garden of Eden. And that's what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. He's going to bring this world back to a Garden of Eden kind of situation. And the Bible says when his government is reigning on this world, the, the, the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to reign with him. 
And he's going to reign with an iron scepter, and there's going to be a thousand years of peace. All, all the swords will be turned into pruning, pruning hooks, and all the weapons will be gone because there will be no need of weapons because the government of this world will rest on his shoulders. And we'll study that in detail when we get into it in Revelation chapter 20 and the millennial rule of Christ. That's coming. But then there's four names given for Jesus, the baby Jesus, who's born in Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us. The first name characterizes who he is, and that he's a wonderful counselor. The word wonderful there is supernatural counselor. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I love getting good counsel. I love going to godly people and getting direction in a godly way from people that are far wiser than me and further down the road spiritually than me. When I was a young Christian, I, every Friday night I'd go to Dr. Dave's Bible study and I'd hang out afterwards. And Dr. Dave was this guy that's just brilliant. He's like Pastor Chuck Smith. He just knows the Word of God in and out. And he studied the Word of God in graduate school. He's actually got a PhD in metallurgical engineering, but then he went on to a seminary and then, then he went on to become a Bible college professor at a great Bible college called Emmaus Bible College. And I remember going to Dr. Dave regular times and just saying, Doctor, I need counsel. Could you answer my biblically what I should do in this situation, and he would always say, pray about it, but then he'd also say, this is what the Bible says about this, the Bible says about this, about this. and I'd get great counsel from him. You know, in a multitude of counselors, there's not only wisdom, there's victory, and I got victory after victory a lot of times by going to him and getting good counsel. I remember before we started our second church, I was pastoring in Southern California, and we were feeling drawn back to the Midwest where our parents were at to start our second church. We ended up starting a church in Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. There really is an Oshkosh. And we pastored a church there. But before we went, I remember I had a visit from California back to Chicago with my parents. And I set up a breakfast with Dr. Dave. So I could just sit down with him. And we had Grand Slam breakfasts together at Denny's on Harlem in Oak Park, Illinois. And I remember asking him, Dr. Dave, I'm thinking about starting another church back here in the Midwest, but I really need your counseling. And he gave me biblical counseling area to the point that I felt at peace after that to go start our second church. And it was, yeah, it was totally of God. But good counsel is good, isn't it? I remember my dad, too. I remember my dad, uh, oftentimes, he, he had personal issues and, and alcoholism and stuff, but he was a really good businessman. And whenever I needed financial counsel, whenever I needed some kind of business counsel, I'd call my dad on the phone, and after just a few minutes of talking to him, he'd be street smart, he'd give me business counsel or financial counsel, and he was always spot on. And I, I remember times I didn't listen to him, it didn't go real well. Especially that look he'd give me at Thanksgiving or Christmas. I told you so, right? But good counsel's good, right? And one of the things that struggles, uh, struggle for me sometimes is Dr. Dave and my dad are both been gone for years now. I don't have them as my counselors anymore in, in both those areas. But you know what? I have a wonderful counselor, and his name is Jesus. And he says in John 1, 5, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he'll give it to you generously and without reproach. And so if you need wisdom, you need the best counsel in all the universe and all creation, pray about it. Seek God's face, and he'll be a wonderful counselor for you too. And then it also says that a part of who he is and what characterizes him is he's mighty God. 
Now, I like that because the word mighty there not only means powerful, it means champion, and it means warrior. And not only that, this points to the deity of Christ. No, don't let those guys with the white shirts and the black ties that knock on your door try to convince you that Jesus isn't God. Just turn them to Isaiah 9-6 and say, this is prophetic scripture about Jesus Christ. And it says right here, Jesus Christ is mighty what? God, and he's Emmanuel, God with us. But not only that, he's a warrior, he's a champion, and he's on our side. And listen, church, the book of Hebrews tells us clearly, he's at the right hand of the Father right now, and he's making intercession for you, for me. Do you know that? Jesus is mighty champion, warrior God, and he's at the Father's right-hand side, and he's interceding for us as his followers. That's awesome. Because you know what? When we know that we have a champion, we have a warrior, we have a mighty God on our side, it makes life a lot easier. Because again, he's for us and he's with us. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So he's, he's, he's wonderful counselor, he's mighty God. Notice the next one, this is interesting. He is everlasting Father. Hold on a second. I thought that there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is this confusing the Trinity? Is Jesus and the Father the same because he's the eternal Father? No, no, no. Don't go there. Stick with the Trinity. It's all throughout the Scripture. We're told to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So the Trinity is three persons, one God. That's all throughout the Scriptures. Even back to the book of Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what's it talking about there? That Jesus is eternal Father. What's talking about is what does a father do? Well, a good father at least. Good father provides for his kids. A good father supports his kids. A good father is there always being behind and 100% behind his kids. And not only that, a good father loves his kids. What does Jesus do? Provides for us. The Bible says, as you allow Jesus to be your shepherd, your cup will overflow. And it says all throughout Scripture that Jesus will provide for us, not only physically, but spiritually. He'll give us rest and peace. Jesus says in, in, his, in his word, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And then he says in Psalm 23, at the last verse of that Psalm, it says, and his goodness and his mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is an eternal father in that he wants to provide for you according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He wants to support you. He wants to be there for you, and he wants to love you. He said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Amen? And so, again, it's been a challenging weekend for me with December 19th, which was yesterday, the day my dad died 13, or no, 17 years ago. But I was contemplating that this week, and I was thinking, you know, I miss dad, I really do. But you know what? The Bible says that we have a God who says, I'm a father to the fatherless. And I have a Savior who says, I will be an eternal father for you. You allow me to be your shepherd, is what he says to us, and I will bring you by still waters. I will, 
I will be there with you to the point that your cup will overflow and you'll have no wants in life because I will be on your side and I'll be with you and I'll be for you because, again, he is God with us. And then the last name, interesting, you go back to the scriptures, the last name is Prince, Prince of Peace. What does peace mean? Well, the word there in the Hebrew means this. It means wholeness. It means tranquility. It means rest for your soul. And that coincides with Jesus, what Jesus said when he said, hey, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll, you'll find rest for your soul, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And again, you're gonna find rest for your souls as you come to Jesus because his yoke is easy. And notice, his burden is what? It's light. So he says, come to me. If you, if you need rest, if you need peace, if you need more, more tranquility for your soul, Jesus says, I am the prince of peace. I am the one that can provide that peace. But don't go to other stuff because they're the empty cisterns of the world. They promised and promised and promised to make you whole, and they never will. They'll just make you more thirsty. And as he said to the woman at the well, hey, if, hey I am the source of living water. And I find that too. And I know Christmas gets a little crazy sometimes, doesn't it? With all the shopping, all the traffic, all the family get-togethers, all the craziness in some of our, our families with other tensions and stresses and stuff like that. Hey, the best thing we do during the season is, is be people that spend time with the Prince of Peace. And it's going to take some work on your part because we're all busy. But spend some time during this week of Christmas sitting at the feet of Jesus and allowing him to be the Prince of Peace in your heart, in your marriage, in your family, in your extended family get-togethers. Part of shining our lights into the darkness of some of our extended family that don't even walk with Christ is for them to see in our lives that we have a Jesus in our heart that is bringing us peace. Peace. Grace and peace unto you that follow Jesus Christ is what Scripture says all throughout the epistles. Grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. So that's my prayer for us this holiday season, is that we would be people that allow Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us in our homes this week. That we are people that when we need counsel, maybe even this week, we need some direction, we go to him and allow him to be the wonderful Counselor, let him guide your path. His word is a lamp under your feet and a light under your path. Let him, let him guide you in wonderful counsel. My prayer for us too is that we are people that are experiencing the fact that mighty God is on our side. And if God be for us, who could be against us? My prayer for us too is as we spend this Christmas week, as we allow Jesus to be our eternal father and that let his love be preeminent in your homes. Let him be the one that's, yeah, he's there for you. He cares about you. He loves you. He wants to support you. and He wants to be the shepherd so there's no wants. And lastly, may he be the Prince of Peace. May he be the one that's just filling your life and my life with his peace because he's the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your one only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but we have eternal life. And we not only have that, Lord, we have all these wonderful things we've seen this morning. We have, as Jesus being our Savior and Lord, we have him to be the, uh, the Emmanuel, the God with us. His presence 
is a big part of the joy that we have in this life because God, Jesus, is with us. And Father, we thank you too for the fact that we have direction from Jesus. He's our shepherd and he can be our wonderful counselor. Lord, give us the wisdom to look to him for direction and trust in him with all our heart. Lean not on our own understanding, but in our ways acknowledge him so he could direct our paths. Father, we thank you too that Jesus is mighty God. He is mighty. He is the warrior. He's the champion God. And if God be for us, who could be against us? Thank you too, Lord, that Jesus is described at his birth as the eternal Father, the one that wants to support us and provide for us and love us as the eternal Father. And lastly, God, we thank you that Jesus, he's the Prince of Peace. And when we're restless on the inside, we have a place we can We can go, and that's at the feet of Jesus. And we can allow Jesus Christ to invade our hearts in the midst of any chaos we might be in. His his presence could bring us peace. And Lord, I pray that we're a people that love to run into his presence. Help us to be, as the psalmist said, as the deer panteth for for the water brook, so my soul pants for the living God. That we want to spend time with you, God, because you sent your best for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, too, that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, help us to be recommitted, too, to spending time just on a daily basis in your presence and being in this church, too, when we're meeting, because this is the place where we meet with you, God. Thank you so much, Father, that you just don't stay up in heaven and stay away from us. You're here. You're not only omniscient and omnipotent, you're omnipresence, and there's nothing that can separate us from your presence, Lord, through through Christ Jesus. Thank you that there's no one, there's nothing, there's no force from hell that can stop us from the, the beauty of your presence, Lord. We thank you for that this morning, God. Thank you for Christmas too, Lord. Thank you for all these get-togethers we're going to have this week. May we be shining lights. May we be people that are a witness for Christ as we get together with family, extended family, maybe even some family members that don't know you, Lord. May we shine our lights in such a way that others may see our good works, and they too may glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you for this time in your word, God, reminding us of these truths that were prophetically written of Jesus centuries before he was even born. And thank you, Jesus, for coming to this world for us and dying for us on the cross so we could be forgiven and saved. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.